This is Corolla Digital. This is Reasonable Doubt with your hosts, Mark Garrigus and Adam Corolla. Yeah, get it on. Got to get on the church. We've got a mandate. Get it on. Welcome to the best hour or so in the universe. It's Reasonable Doubt. I'm Adam Corolla. That's Mark. Hard out. Soft taco. Garagos coming from New York City. What's on your mind, Mark? Boy, you got a, uh, a compliment today. My, uh, I've been on uh, Zoom depositions all day, and people are walking in and out of this uh, this office that I use here. And uh, somebody who will remain nameless, who you know very well, said, "You know, your style has been influenced by Adam." And wow. I said, my style has been influenced by Adam. And they said, you tend to, you tend to, you always tend to kind of steamroll, but now you steamroll with a certain savoir-faire. And I mm. said, well, I'll tell Adam. He'll be very, I think he'll be flattered by that. The French steamroller. Mark. The French steamroller. <laughs> Hard out. Soft taco. French steamroller. Garagos. <laughs> We're going to keep piling well, up those nicknames. Where do we begin? There's so many good things going on. As we speak, I think they filed murder charges or improper transportation of a body. Gary, can you check that out? Somebody told me that, and I just can't even believe it. This Massachusetts mom case, which is kind of the missing white woman du jour. And, um, you know, I as I indicated to you before, Adam, we're, we, you know we're in back to the pre-Trump era, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, is this it, Gary? Yeah, this is the uh, the Norfolk District Attorney announcing it. It's about a minute. We can watch it. Okay. Detectives from the Cohasset Police Department and the Massachusetts State Police Detectives assigned to the Norfolk District Attorney's Office have been involved in an intensive investigation into the fate of Anna Walsh, a 39-year-old Cohasset mother of three, since she was first reported missing on January 4th. Early in this investigation, the police developed probable cause to believe that her husband, Brian Walsh, age 47, had misled police investigators on material matters important to the search for Anna Walsh. He has pled not guilty to those charges and is currently being held at the Norfolk County House of Correction. The continued investigation has now allowed police to obtain an arrest warrant charging Brian Walsh with the murder of his wife. Mr. Walsh will be transported to the Quincy District Court for arraignment on the charge of murder. Additional details of the investigation and the evidence in support of those charges are likely to be presented at arraignment, but will not be disclosed at this time. This marks the second allegation of domestic violence homicide in Norfolk County in less than a month. Our thoughts are very much with the family these crimes have left behind. You know, I um, first of all, I love that accent. Me too. I just want to say that it's That's why I wanted to play it, was just for the accent. Yeah, reminds me of Dickie Barrett from the Boston. Say, I want to say we arrested him after he popped his car. But <laughs> the 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 interesting thing about that, I give the guy a certain amount of kudos because that's basically he encapsulated a whole lot of information and he didn't go overboard. Um, you know, he he talked about the arrest warrant, the probable cause. He gave the background. He said it's sealed and told the arraignment tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, and he probably should have said he's presumed innocent, but you know, I, you can't have everything and his heart's and uh, goes out to the family 
as the second incident of domestic violence. So pretty much a primer for all you prosecutors or, you know, retired federal prosecutors uh, you could uh, you could learn from that that was probably i give i give him a 92 on that succinct well done and yeah. uh except for the pronunciation of the word ch- charge versus charge <laughs> but you know who are we because words are different everywhere all the time and i'm not judging so what else? Gary, maybe you should find Gary while Adam and I were talking. There is something that I saw on the Internet about a woman trying to say with her accent, New Hampshire. And she it's a reporter. And if you could find that, I, I'd love for you to play it because she repeats it a number of times. But the 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 L.A. connection to this um, uh, case is apparently there was a West Hollywood art gallery uh, that was duped, if you believe what's being reported uh, by the uh, husband on some paintings. And then the wife, or for those who weren't in the weeds here, or the, the wife supposedly, according to the husband, had left on January 1st, was going to go down. She works during the week uh, down in Washington, D.C., and said she was leaving. And the false statements was he said that his um, he was taking the kids out for ice cream, and he apparently... They triangulated him, uh, his cell phones to somewhere else. But it's an interesting case, and it's kind of captured the imagination, not the least of which because they don't have a body yet. So there's the gone girl aspect. And then they did apparently, if you believe what's being leaked out there, find hacksaws and other tools with blood and DNA presumably uh, contained on there in addition to the, well, contained in the blood and and also in uh, this it's been variously reported that this guy has uh, been referred to as a sociopath and has been institutionalized. So you've got all kinds of uh, cross currents here. Plus, she's a pretty white woman, which checks the box for cable news wall to wall coverage. What is the rules with the triangulation of the cell phones? Because I always think about you and Scott Peterson 20 years ago now. Been 20 years 20, almost 22 years. So almost 22 years ago where you couldn't get that information, right? Well, you got the information, but boy, that was kind of in the incipient stages. I mean, they, they, uh, we did uh, a, a hearing that lasted well over a week on, uh, on that. And then during the trial itself, we spent quite a bit of time on it because back then they were just, kind of scratching the surface of that and mitochondrial DNA, dog scent evidence, all of all of those things. And you had to have uh, hearings that would uh, test that stuff. And I'll never forget some of the things where they said that this, uh, that's where I discovered, I had another case 10 years ago in Northern California, where it was the same kind of uh, test where it became apparent that it's not like a GPS where you have a very sophisticated, um, you know, when somebody does find my phone or they do maps and it's your location. Now you look at that and you can kind of drill down and you get within basically an eight foot radius. Uh, The cell phones are different because depending on where you are, I could be sitting here on fifth Avenue and my cell phone, I could be using the cell phone, but Depending on what the traffic is, it may hit in one part of my conversation uh, with an antenna that's in Madison Square Park. 
It could then bounce if it gets too busy there to some place by the Empire State Building, even go uptown. So you could it could look like you're bouncing between and um, cell phone uh, antennae and that you're moving and you could be sitting in the exact same spot. So that is not as good as one would expect uh, in terms of the um, uh, locations. I'm told, I don't know that it's been reported yet, but I'm told in this Massachusetts mom case that they have the cell phone tower locations of the husband, the accused, the defendant as of tomorrow morning, and that those locations, I mean, I hate to break the news here, but I'm told that those locations correspond to where they found um, evidence, and that's why they were so confident and why they felt like they could file the charges. Because remember, without a body and the fact that he's being held already, What's the rush, you would say? Well, I would suspect that they found something that they thought, hey, we've got a high degree of confidence now, so it's time that we file these charges and get it on the road. It has also been reported that some of the places that he traveled to were outside of the zone he was allowed to for his already, his current home confinement for the last the art uh, charge. Uh, Which is a great point, Gary, because for those who don't know, he had a didn't he have a monitoring device on him? Correct. Which was that is a GPS device. So unlike your phone, the ankle bracelet has one of the GPSs, which is different than what it is to track somebody by the cell phone antennas and the cell phone travel. So, you know, you would think that this guy would have would have had enough sense to have not only not traveled outside of his GPS micro geo targeted area but also not to then engage and start talking and give bad information to somebody when they're asking him questions we have the reporter accent ready gary found it okay yeah. which i haven't heard Parts of this bill are similar to the executive orders that have already been put in place in new hampshire new hampshire Gary, <laughs> one more time. I just think it's, yeah. I mean, it's, she's endearing. And yeah, I, I just, agree. She's endearing. Parts of this bill are similar to the executive orders that have already been put in place in New Hampshire. New Hampshire. But who who's letting the tape out? Is that... The cameraman who I'm I'm uh, guessing that there's some guy who works with her who got thwarted from a date. And so this is his payback. But be careful because I think it's endearing. In fact, I think even the governor of New Hampshire, Sununu, I think he said, you're welcome to say New Hampshire anytime. Yeah, she's been killing it on social media since this got out there. She She just owned it and just started retweeting people and she's all about it. All right. Yeah. What other cases are we looking at, Gary and well, or Mark? Yeah, Gary, what about Murdoch? Do we try trial next week? Yeah, that's is what it? I read. Yeah. Murdoch, trial next week. Murdoch, you'll remember, this is the guy who comes from a long line of lawyers slash prosecutors in uh, that particular region of South Carolina, Dick Carpoolian who I know is a great uh, lawyer, uh, is uh, defending him. 
I I think that there will be, you know, rumor has it there will be a very robust defense to that case. Is that the case where the kid died in the boat, which who may have been over the legal limit, and then later on there was another killing, and then the cops ran him down, and then he tried to kill himself. Tried to, yeah, he, he botched a, a murder for hire thing. He, his wife and son were found murdered right. brutally with different weapons at the, one of their homes. Then it turned out he had embezzled a bunch of money from their former housekeeper. And then there was just, I mean, it just, it kept unfolding. And but unfolding. didn't he attempt to kill himself when the cops surrounded him? Or am I making that up? He got out of his he, car. Apparently, he claimed this is the prosecution theory he that he called in a um uh that basically he had an ex-client kind of do a uh a stage carjacking where uh-huh. he was going to get killed so the surviving son would get the insurance proceeds but uh-huh. i was just going to compliment you as a retired federal prosecutor you really have your hand or finger on the pulse of the state court cable news staples i uh, i'm very impressed I know nothing of the case other than what you spoke of it several years ago, but I do remember a boating accident. Uh, of, someone was overserved. Uh, they never looked into it. Then there was murder, and then a sort of fleeing that involved an attempted suicide or a faked suicide or something. But he's that trial is is beginning now. Yeah, and uh, that's I, we will cover that because I think it's a fascinating trial. It's got everything you'd ever want. It's got drugs and sex and housekeepers and uh, I mean, just uh, it's got the a wide. It's got a wide range. It's got quite a quite a wide gamut of uh, subjects. Then I think one of the others that's uh, kind of captured the imagination uh, the in the tabloid uh, chronicles is this case involving the uh, Idaho Four, as they call it, the brutal and horrific homicides of these four college students. That um, is interesting to me for a variety of reasons. I've already talked with you about some of the problems I see or what the defense is going to be concentrating on in terms of the prosecution evidence. Now there's all kinds of other theories making the rounds on the internet amongst the uh, true true crime uh, sleuths, one of which is there was... You might remember there was a body cam footage in Indiana of the father and son, this Brian, who's the defendant. They were apparently driving the Elantra uh, from the Washington to Pennsylvania, where he was later arrested. They were stopped not once but twice by the uh, Indiana authorities. And on one of the body cams, they're talking about a SWAT shooting. I don't know if you remember that. Gary may remember. Well, now... The latest theory is, is the SWAT shooting involved a security guard, and it took place um, in, uh, in uh, I believe, in uh, Idaho or Washington. And that security guard, they're now saying, and the SWAT killing of him is somehow related to Brian Kohlberger. And there are people who are saying it's even that that was the person, that that's what they're covering up. One of the reasons now that there's all this speculation is, as I mentioned before, there was a sealing of the search warrant on Kohlberger's apartment. And one of the reasons they gave for the sealing was that 
it would bring threats to law enforcement. Well, I can tell you that that's a very unusual statement. In fact, it's interesting, the Massachusetts mom, missing Massachusetts mom case, talk about alliteration, as Gary would say. Um, they they have a sealing order there, but the sealing order does not invoke threats to law well, this case you know, also just, involved triangulations of cell phones, right? Exactly, exactly. Bouncing back and forth. And the fact that the cell phone uh, was was not pinging on any cell towers during the 3 to 5 a.m. time period when they believed the murder was committed. Also, just throwing another little monkey wrench into the prosecution theory. Remember, when they first started this case, they were saying that the murder happened between 3 and 4. We're now learning that they're they're kind of moving that just like they were moving the year of the Elantra. They're moving that now to between four and four twenty three because they've got a DoorDash delivery at four o'clock. They've got a TikTok use by one of the people in the house at four twelve. And they've got a video or a ring camera or something that's fifty feet away picking up a dog barking at four seventeen. So and then they've got a triangulation of the cell phone sometime well after that. And they now have gone back to the cell phone records and they've got, I believe the day before they think that the Elantra or the phone was in the vicinity. So they're saying that it was, there was some stalking. It's also being reported today, just right before we got on the air, that there is a connection between Kohlberger and one of the victims by direct message, I believe. Gary may have that. I'm not sure if I gave him a Yes, I, I do have that. So basically what they're saying is, is that they don't even know if the victim was aware that he was trying to slide into her DMs because you don't get alerted unless you follow that person. So if hmm. you know a random person was to DM you or me on Instagram, it would go into a separate folder than if someone we follow were to DM us. Mm-hmm. So they don't know if she was even aware, but apparently he sent several messages over and over again. Nothing aggressive, but he was described as persistent. So why would they seal his apartment or seal the evidence from his apartment, which you say is very atypical? I be, When they invoke the fact that it's a threat to law enforcement, you'll remember early on, people were railing and just um, ragging all over law enforcement, the local law enforcement in this case. My guess is, and I like say I'll, I'll be very upfront, I think it's a guess, I'm speculating, but the fact that they invoke threats to law enforcement leads me to believe that when they came out and said they were 100% sure and nobody else was involved and blah, 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 that now there appears that there were some other things that either were missed or that the statements were a little bit too or uttered with too much certitude, if you know what I mean, that maybe there was somebody else who either a company knew about before, after, I don't know. I mean, I like I say, it's a speculation. It's just a telltale sign is when they say threats to law enforcement, because who's going to threat? Why would you perceive a threat to law enforcement when you've arrested somebody and you've charged somebody and presumably on the basis of a affidavit, you've got a circumstantial case against that person? It's interesting to me. And then there was his public defender out of Pennsylvania. Now, mind you, this guy was interviewed yesterday and he was saying they were I saw him being asked, um, did he tell you about the facts of the case? Not a bad answer by him. No. And I didn't want to hear him. 
because and he said he tried to tell me a couple of times i said no that tells me a guy who's experienced and uh and has been around the block a couple of times in criminal defense because the last thing you want to do is have somebody especially when you're defending the person just on extradition which is a different task than on the um case itself, the case in chief, the underlying case that he was going to get extradited for. The last thing you want to do is lock yourself into a story that the client's telling you before you know what the prosecution's already got. Because you put yourself into a predicament, an ethical uh, dilemma when you do that. And number, number two, you don't want to really kind of have yet until you see what the prosecution's got. I mean, that, you know, the, the way the system is set up is You're there as the defense lawyer, and your job is to literally make the prosecution jump over the hurdles or jump through hoops, whatever cliche you want to use. You're there to hold their feet to the fire. That's another good cliche. Um, But you do not want to necessarily go into it uh, and wed your client to a certain story because that may foreclose you from putting him on the stand at a later point. And so he was saying the same thing that the client was adamant that he wanted to, Brian Colbert, exonerate himself, which suggests that, um, that he felt like that he was surprised or shocked that he was being charged with these crimes. Well, would the, Defender for Kohlberger, might he say, um, tell me all about it? And then when the press asked him, did you talk to your client about it? He'd say no. You like, and it brings up a great point because I he came very close to disclosing the attorney client and you can get into trouble because you could uh, you could do a waiver. The privilege of your conversation with the client is held by the client. Unless the client authorizes you to to waive that privilege, you've got a duty, a sworn duty, to not reveal what the client has told you at all peril to yourself. So the client could say, look, I'm going to tell you, but don't tell anybody. That's I can see that. Uh, what's uh, breaking in the Joe Biden classified docs? situation is there any more news here maybe we do one ad and then and tease right. it. there's a lot here oh really all right let me tell you about green chef want to kick start keto in the new year green chef makes it easier than ever with their new limited time keto kickoff 2023 keto recipes for breakfast lunch dinner plus meal bundles as well expanded menu choose from 30 recipes weekly with the option to uh, mix and match from different diets in the same box without changing your plan. A vegan one day, keto the next, plus more customization than ever. Swap the protein in any meal. Also uh, add chicken or fish to selected vegan and vegetarian recipes for added protein. Only meal kit that's carbon and plastic offset. So if you like your environment this is for you and if you uh, like your waistline this is for you as well creamy italian pork soup that is my favorite that i've tried so far and it is delectable it is green chef right gary go to greenchef.com slash doubt 60 and use code doubt 60 to get 60 percent off plus free shipping that's greenchef.com slash doubt 60 and use code doubt 60 to get 60 percent off plus free shipping green chef the number one meal kit for eating well 
All right. So uh, the latest with the Joe Biden and the documents. Wait, Dave, you have a video. You have a video uh, clip for this. Uh, is there one you're thinking of? God, there was something that came out very recently. You, you know, they you're now at the point, by the way, for those who aren't in the weeds on this, uh, you'll remember that there was quite a uh, uh, brouhaha about classified documents being found at Mar-a-Lago. You might also remember. Yeah, there you go. And I was just when you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago. What did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen, how one, anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. Yeah. What? You know, you'll remember, Adam, and I got you know the usual blowback from people who uh, are... Um, Joe Biden supporters, because at the time people said, well, you're defending Trump. And I said, no, I, I think I made the distinction. I said, look, the, he's not above the law. He is the president. And the classification system is such that he's at the top of the pyramid here for classified documents. So stop talking about, you know, this false equivalency of well, if Reality Winner had done it or if somebody else had done it, they'd be in prison, right? But they weren't the president of the United States. There is a reason why we have a president and a classification system that goes up the, the pyramid, so to speak. And we had a lot of blowback for that. And the same thing here. Oh, my God, even the the current president, is it's so irresponsible. It's methods and and this or that. And I, I believe at the time we also said, by the way, uh, when people were saying uh, Trump had it in a closet with a uh, kind of a crummy lock. And I think you and I said, well, it's not like he doesn't have a so a Secret Service um, contingent that's there at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, it's not like people are rummaging around without a, any kind of federal law enforcement presence. And I, and I remember some rather uh, caustic remarks about that. Well, boy, it sure has changed, hasn't it? Because not once, not twice, but three times, they're now finding documents, not just at the vice presidential kind of think tank area, but in the garage next to the Corvette, I think, are the last two locations, right? Yeah, except for I'm unclear. You know, I've seen it like they go, you can see Biden backing the Corvette up uh, on an episode of Jay Leno's Garage and see these boxes in the back. Those are the classified documents. And I'm like, or it's the recycler newspaper from 1977. Like, how do you know what's in those boxes in the corner? Now, somebody just decided those were the actual documents behind the Corvette in the corner of the garage by the garage door hinge. But I'm like, I don't know that that's them. Not not that it makes a difference, but there's a pile of junk, you know, like a lampshade and some photo albums and some cardboard boxes that are in the back of the garage piled up. Now, 
Uh, they could be the documents, or they could just be a bunch of shit scattered around a garage. We don't we don't know. Either way, they're in the garage. It's it's not an excuse, and it's not secure. But to circle a pile of junk and go, these are the documents. I think they're playing a little fast and loose with the truth there. It's just sort of theatrics at that point. But yeah, a bridge too far. But by the way. Can we talk about his Corvette for a second? Because it's, it's always been one of my favorites. What year is that, do you believe? 67? 67, they say, in that, uh, pardon the pun, Hunter Green with, uh, <laughs> with a beige interior. Um, now they call that, isn't that the um, oh, Bill Blass edition, right? Or uh, I'm not, uh, maybe that's blue with the uh, tan. But that's a heck of a car. I've always, I've always loved that car. Yeah, I liked it too. I always, you know, the thing that was funny about about politicians now that I've, I find funny about every every politician, every musician, every everything. Everyone has to explain that for a while they lived out of their car. That's that's one story. You know, everyone has to claim poverty for some reason, or you have no street cred. So the rap version of this is you grew up in South Central, you dealt drugs, you were in a gang, you know, you had to uh, pop a cap and a few asses, but you've left it behind you. And then the white guy version is, is we grew up poor. We didn't have money. I had to sleep in my car for a while when I moved out to Los Angeles. And the thing that was funny about Biden, which I was caught on to because I saw that episode of Jay Leno's Garage, where he was very proudly showing off his 67 convertible Corvette. He was like, you know, Scranton Joe grew up hard scrabble family, just enough to make ends meet. Anyway, as my wedding gift, when I was 22, I got this brand new convertible Corvette. And I, now here's all I'm saying, everybody. Um, you could just say we're pretty middle-class and I got a, my dad, cashed it in and bought me a Corvette. But you you can't say sort of hard scrabble ham and agar from Scranton and got a Corvette on my wedding day at age 23 because I don't know anybody who got a brand new Corvette for their wedding. I may have gotten like a 10-speed blender or a toaster oven or something or nothing. It's it's unclear. I, I don't know anyone who got a Corvette, but I certainly don't know any poor blue collar f- hard scrabble folks that got a brand new Corvette for their wedding gift from their parents in their very early 20s. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. They, uh, but you know, circling back to the classified documents, now that they're finding them, uh, the uh, I think Gary had mentioned on Bard the other day that um friend of the show, Karen Agnifilo, was saying this basically sticks a fork in the Mar-Lago um, uh, prosecution. And I couldn't agree more because how in the world are you going to, with a straight face, uh, if you're a special counsel, indict Trump for that when it seems like you've got every couple of days more documents turning up? Unless, of course, you're one of the apologists for this who now want to compare the degree of documents or the quantity of documents and how many were top secret that Trump had versus how many that were top secret that Biden had. 
That, to me, points out just that you've elevated the sublime to the ridiculous in terms of this whole thing. I would say, uh, the idea at this point that you're still going to pursue this uh, by virtue of special counsel, whatever else. By the way, the lawyers for Trump who were in the crosshairs of the Department of Justice before they um, appointed a special counsel. Remember all the people who were saying, oh, the lawyers... They got obstruction, blah, 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 because they signed a declaration or they represented to DOJ. Well, guess what? Uh, there's private lawyers on Biden's team who are finding or discovering these documents and turning them over too. What are they going to do? What are you going to say? Oh, you turned out after document dump number two, you're going to say what happened between that and document dump, uh, classified dump number three. It really kind of points out this idea that the criminalization of the political sphere, I think, has just got to be reined in uh, uh, to some degree. Well, also, it strikes me that it's why people need to be a little more measured. And what I'm saying is, is it kind of reminds me of, I think it was James Franco. And I'll tell you why actor James Franco. When we we're, were in the throes of Time's Up and Me Too, remember? And Al Franken would get caught for a nothing burger and everyone would just pile on, right? And nobody ever said, you know, let's put things into context here. Not everyone's Harvey Weinstein. You know, slow your roll just a little bit. And at some point, they would pile on. They'd go, yeah, I have zero tolerance for this stuff. What Al Franken did was disgusting. He should be relieved of his duties as a congressman and blah, blah, blah. And then lo and behold, some picture of you would, would, we'd find. Or you'd be talking about, um, Black Lives Matter endlessly. And then we'd find some picture of you at a Halloween party from 1992 going as one of Millie and or Vanilli. You know what I mean? And the, problem is, is you didn't give a measured response the first time. And so Biden does a 60 minutes interview and they go, what about Mar-a-Lago and class? You know, that's irresponsible. It's disgusting. Who could possibly do this? And what kind of jeopardy could you cause? He now, if he had said, and I'm telling you, they play that tape ad nauseum now. It's no boy. Here we go. How irresponsible standards and methods and practices and, 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 peril and danger and irresponsible and who could be so irresponsible if if these guys could answer a question like what about trump and mar-a-lago well i haven't seen all the evidence yet it doesn't look good but it does happen quite frequently historically that presidents take stuff back and some of it's classified and they have the power to declassify and we're not sure if that's the that's the case here but He's not setting a precedent by doing this as a president, pardon the almost pun. This is a pretty frequent practice. Uh, I don't agree with it, but it does happen a lot on both sides of the aisle. If you give some sort of answer like that, then we cannot do the aha when we find your boxes in your garage because it is quite frequent and it does happen at nauseum in Washington. So if you'd start giving a little more measured um, non-bullshit responses. Uh, then later on, when we find out that you grabbed a titty in junior high, because 10 minutes ago you were sitting down explaining you had zero tolerance for any, any time a man touched. And now we got somebody coming out of the woodwork saying you grabbed their titty. 
in the quad in the ninth grade in 1987, it's going to bite you in the ass. So please be a little more measured with your answers because they do come around and bite you in the ass. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I guess it's kind of the same thing that I like to try to counsel that there is a presumption of innocence before you. I know everybody loves a good, you know, prosecutorial or uh, uh, gangbang, as I like to say. But at the same time, you, you be careful because it can boomerang on you. All right, one more, Gary. What do you, what do you? You know, the got? one that's interesting. I didn't send it to Gary, but I know he'll be interested. Um, Elon Musk is in trial in the Northern District Federal Court. And it revolves around that tweet where he was saying that he might take Tesla private. And so he was being sued for, I believe, in a class action by shareholders. And they're picking a jury. And the they brought in or the, I think they did some questionnaires. And it's amazing. And it was in San Francisco. And the lawyers for Musk wanted a change of venue, uh, but not the least of which is because um, they believed, and I think, validly that Musk can't get a fair trial in San Francisco, especially in the Silicon Valley, because uh, when he moved from there, there was a great deal of blowback. Mm-hmm. And watching some of these, um, uh, the what's being re- reported, what jurors are saying in San Francisco about Elon Musk um, tends to give some credence to the fact that it may be somewhat hard to find a jury that's going to not be judgmental going into it about Musk because the judge himself characterized uh, various of the jurors as being radioactive. Uh-huh. And I thought that was interesting. And it's an interesting phenomena that here's a guy, Musk, who, whatever you think about him, is clearly a um, a, a great innovator who will be remembered at the very least for that. But how quickly kind of he he turned from a darling of one side to kind of the boogeyman of the same side. You know what I mean? Well, I feel the same way about the left going nuts over getting to the bottom of the FBI's involvement in elections or Hunter Biden laptops, as I do with Elon Musk buying uh, Twitter and saying I'm going to open the floodgates and let all the information out there. Uh, all of a sudden, the free speech activists and the people that were very suspicious of not only the government FBI's and the CIA's uh, have now become a huge advocate for big pharma, the FBI, the CIA, big government, and hate guys like Elon Musk for opening up Twitter. It's making me a little suspicious, I should say. And it's really upside down world. And you guys, you and I bring it up every 10 minutes. And I talk to Drew about it all the time because you have to be old enough to grow up as I did with a sort of hippie mom who hated big pharma, hated the government, hated the FBI, hated the CIA, did not trust any of these entities. And now that was the d- domain of domain of the right and the Republicans who championed the CIA, the FBI, big government and big pharma. And now we've done a complete 180 and free speech. I, free speech was 
always a let your freak flag fly thing on the left. Now we have to have uh, information ambassadors to make sure that speech is vetted. And uh, California has to have doctors to comply with uh, known COVID therapeutics. Otherwise, they'll be no, stripped. No COVID speech zone. Right. It's 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 com- it's completely been flipped. And a, and a guy like Elon Musk in the 70s to my mom would have been considered an innovator and a free speech absolute absolutist and she would have been all in for him now of course the fact that they attack elon musk because he says he's opening up twitter suggests that twitter was in your hip pocket and doing your bidding otherwise you'd have either no opinion or be happy that and to hide behind the you know open it up for hate speak that's such a thin veneer that that is such a uh, frivolous excuse for why you're pushing back on what Elon Musk is is doing spurious is the word i was looking for so it is interesting that he's drawn the ire of everyone on the left after being a hero of everyone on the left simply by saying we're opening up Twitter, and we're going to release all the data that shows that your government and your FBI and your CDC and your Fauci's and all the rest of them were communicating with them in a deliberate attempt to shut down any voices that arose asking questions about vaccinations or safety or any any protocols. It's exactly upside down. My mom would have been all about it is an original sort of Crosby, Stills, and Nash hippie girl. She would have been all about what he's doing and wanting to blow the lid off of any involvement with the FBI, CIA, big government, and big pharma. That's the, the part way, I find interesting. You don't have to go back to the 70s. You, you could go back seven years. I mean, it's, it's amazing what has transpired in the last seven years. Yeah, and I don't think he could get a fair shake in San Francisco. And... But, It'll be fascinating to watch this trial uh, take place. I but mean, but really where cool. where would the venue move to? It's not going to. He's the, it's clear that the judge feels like he can. One of the things you do with change of venues is the judge inevitably, with a couple of exceptions, one of my cases is one of them, but inevitably you say, we'll sort that out during jury selection. And that's exactly what Judge Chen is doing. He's sorting it out in jury selection. And as long as they think they can find 12 jurors and however number of alternates to say, yes, I, I've heard about it, obviously, and I can be fair and I can set it aside. It's all they care about. All right. Well, this weekend, I'll be with John Popper in Dallas, Texas, doing live shows, music, all the hits, the stand-up, meet and greets. We're going to watch some of the K-Rock doc. We're putting that together. So a little sneak preview of that, Mark. I know you're interested oh, in I that. I really... Right, I'm very interested in that. You can't you can't find can't find one of your docs that I'm more interested in that. Uh, that's going to be at the uh, Dallas Sheridan. We'll be there. We'll do a live show on the 21st. I think it's the 21st. Yeah, uh, that's a live live music show and stand up show. You can get tickets to that. Or you can hang out for the whole weekend. Just go to amcroll.com for all the info. What do you got, Mark? I was just going to give a little plug to, since Valentine's Day is coming up, Alex Anani, the decadent box of chocolates collection from Alex Anani for Valentine's Day. Uh, go to Alex and Ani, A-L-E-X, 
A-N-D-A-N-I, and plug in a chocolate gold jewelry. It's a affordable, and uh, you'll be a winner. You may even get lucky on Valentine's Day. So, until next time, this is Adam Carolla for Mark. Hard out, soft taco, Garriga saying, mahalo. Thanks for listening to Reasonable Doubt. Tune in next Saturday for an all-new episode. This is Corolla Digital. All month long on Pluto TV, stream the biggest Tyler Perry movies free. Watch your favorites like Medea's Witness Protection and Medea's Big Happy Family. Join Tyler Perry as he goes on a couples retreat with Sharon Leal in Why Did I Get Married? Or Idris Elba and Gabrielle Union in the Tyler Perry directed film Daddy's Little Girls. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of channels with thousands more movies and TV shows available on live and on demand. Download the free Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Hello, everyone. This is Mike. And this is Gibby. And we're the hosts of the True Crime All the Time Unsolved podcast. If you haven't already, we'd love to invite you to come check us out. Starting in January of 2017, we've amassed over 230 episodes of some of the most intriguing unsolved cases in true crime history. We cover some of the very big unsolved cases, but we also like to cover some of the lesser known cases, some that you may have never heard of. We dive into the details. We talk about the victims, their life, the circumstances around their disappearance or murder and we cover the potential suspects and persons of interest we try to give you all the known facts you need to satisfy your amateur detective we like to think that we don't take ourselves all that seriously but we take true crime very seriously you can listen to true crime all the time unsolved now on podcast one apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts you know you want to